three, two, one, zero, 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 zero. From the studios of WORQ in Wisconsin, this is the Stand Up For The Truth Podcast. Today's issues, overlooked headlines, and biblical observations, equipping the remnant around the globe. Got your sword handy? This is Stand Up For The Truth. Welcome to Stand Up For The Truth for June 13th. June is just flying by. My name is Mary Danielson. I'm your host for today, and my guest is Jim Fletcher. We will be talking with Jim about Israel and some current headlines in a couple of minutes. Uh, I want to share a scripture with you that I woke up with in my head this morning. Psalm 27, uh, verses 13 and 14 specifically, which say, I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Verse 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. It must be important because he repeated himself. Join me in prayer this morning. Let's just acknowledge the Lord. Oh, Heavenly Father, how easy it is to lose heart at times. Um, but your goodness is ever-present, and we know that, Lord. And our flesh and our heart may fail, but um, you change not. And we're so grateful for that, Lord. And I lift up anyone today who is uh, having a difficult time, whether it's through illness or um, just uh, misfortune, economic, whatever it is, Lord. You know and you see and uh, you care about us and every detail about our lives. So I pray for that person. I lift them up today, and I ask that you would encourage them also by your Holy Spirit to wait on you for every good and perfect thing which we know comes from you. Thank you, Jesus. Pray for Jim today. Pray for his ministry. Pray for his family, for a hedge of protection around him and his life. And uh, thank you for his ministry and all his labors for the kingdom. Thank you, Jesus. We love you so much. In your name, amen. By now you figured out uh, that I am a history buff. And uh, just a couple of interesting events today in history, and I, I like to look at bits and pieces of events that have shaped us as a world and a nation and a church. Just a minute here for a couple of interesting ones. On this date in 1997, Timothy McVeigh was sentenced to death for his part in the 1995 Oklahoma City bombing. Also on this date, 1994, a jury found Exxon and Cap, uh, Captain Hazelwood guilty of the Exxon Valdez disaster. In 1966, the U.S. Supreme Court ruled that police must inform suspects of their rights before questioning them. That would be the infamous Miranda case. They are known as Miranda rights. In 1866, Vancouver, B.C. burned to the ground from fires started by those clearing land for the Pacific Railroad. Ah, progress, right? In th- and finally, in 313, Constancy- Constantine signs the Edict of Milan, ending a particularly brutal era of persecution against the Church and granting religious freedom throughout the Roman Empire, also creating a Roman state-sponsored church. And we all know how that uh, came out. It's still with us today. So today we have Jim Fletcher as our guest. Jim's an author and director of Prophecy Matters, a longtime editor of Master Books, the world's largest publisher of creationism books. Jim's an apologist, a student of Israel's past, present, and future, and can be found at Israel Watch on Rapture Ready Radio. Also, check out his book, The End of the World as We Know It and I Feel Fine, How to Stop Worrying and Learn to Love These End Times. You can't lose with a title like that, is what I say. Jim, welcome to Stand Up this morning. Well, thank you, Mayor. It's good to be with you. You have uh, always had a lot on the front burner. But any particular projects? I'm just looking for updates on, on projects you might be launching in the near future. What can you tell us about that? Yeah, um, actually, I am. I uh, I 
took an Israel trip uh, last month and did a lot of research, and I'm, I've decided to uh, devote my time uh, in the future to uh, you know teaching Bible prophecy as an evangelism tool because I think it's really uh, so important and, and, and such a great tool to use for that. So I am uh, launching a, a Patreon page called The God That Answers, and it's actually going to launch and be published this coming weekend. And it will be, uh, let's see, patreon.com slash the God that answers. So in it, I'm going to, uh, kind of maybe talk about prophecy in a little bit different way. Um, not, not focus on so many of the more popular topics, but some of the more obscure ones and, and, and focus heavily on prophecies already fulfilled and, and in that way show people that, uh, uh God is real. So, that's what I'm. That's what I'm neck deep into at the moment. That sounds great. And so, what what's the time frame on that? You may have said so at the beginning. What when is that actually going to kick in? Or is it? I'm going to launch it. Yeah, I'm going to launch it this coming weekend. Okay. On Saturday. Great. Yeah. Great. So if people go to that uh, that page, they'll they'll be there. Great. Patreon.com. The God that answers. Awesome. That I'm looking forward to that. Uh, you mentioned you recently went to Israel. What were some of your observations and your takeaways. I was thinking while I was um, going over some notes uh, today, uh, Isaiah 61.4 is what came to my mind, and they shall rebuild the old ruins, they shall raise up the former desolations, and they shall repair the ruined cities, the desolations of many generations. And going to Israel certainly amplifies that. But what was your trip like? What were some of your takeaways? Well, yeah, several things, of course. And, and to, to follow what you just said, um, I had uh, lunch with some friends at uh, Modian uh, one afternoon. And, you know, Modian is the uh, the ancient side of the Maccabees. And then the, the modern city is absolutely gorgeous. And so I saw the ruins, and then I drove through the, the modern city, which is just mind-blowing. Mm-hmm. And so truly they are rebuilding the waste places. And uh, so that was fun. Um uh, you know, I think the biggest thing was that as it happened, all those rockets were flying uh, during my trip there. And I, I had two takeaways about that. One is that obviously the media lie, <laughs> you know, for, for different reasons. But I, I think I think with this, they lied just for clicks and, and, and views and things because what almost startled me was the uh, the the undercurrent of fear in the media stories about these uh, about these rocket attacks from from Gaza in in particular uh, even even some Christian sources and so what struck me was that for example I was I was sitting on a hotel balcony in Tel Aviv one afternoon and I'm on my computer and somebody had posted on Facebook a graphic of these rocket attacks, and, and they had the rockets hitting Tel Aviv, and there were these red dots everywhere, like 20 or 25 red dots, as if Tel Aviv was on fire. I was literally then looking down at the beach, and people were swimming, biking, uh, having picnics. Nothing, nothing indicated what the media was saying about those rocket attacks. And, in fact, uh, the whole, you know, whatever it was, the six or seven days that, that they were launching these rockets, 
Um, you know, unless somebody told you that was going on, you wouldn't know it. Um, I didn't see any evidence. I didn't see people fearful. Now, now people check their apps on their phones and things like that. They're, they're you know, obviously people making sure if they're close to uh, Ashkelon or, or wherever south that they were close to a bomb shelter. But the contrast between what was actually going on and what the media reporting was incredible. So that was that was the first thing. Um, the other thing was that uh, you know I went to some places that I had not been before, and uh, I was just by myself, rented a car, and, and drove all over the country. Never felt unsafe for a second. Uh, everything was fine. But I went to places like Mount Carmel, you know, where Elijah and the prophets of Baal, and I went to the Valley of Elah, where uh, David uh, killed Goliath. And uh, <laughs> the, the funny thing about that visit was, unlike where I live, which is kind of a touristy area, you know, and, and sometimes kitschy stuff and that kind of thing. Um, you can't, you you can barely find the site. I mean. You know, it's, it's listed on a map. But I was just driving down there on this highway, Highway 38, going south, and I had to pass through the area two or three times. I finally, this sounds like a cliche, I literally stopped at a gas station. <laughs> and I asked the guy where it was, because there's no signage whatsoever. There's nothing. And he, he told me, he said, well, you go down the, down the road here and, uh, and then I saw the dry stream bed, and then I saw the two hills facing each other, and then it, you can get in your mind's eye what that battlefield looked like. So I, I ended up finding it, but it wasn't uh, all that easy. Hmm. Um, and then one, one other area that was really fascinating was uh, Latrune, where our friend Chris Quintana has, has been uh, before, and he and I talked about it. They have, I think, the world's largest tank museum. Hmm. And what's most interesting about Latrun is that you have hundreds of tanks outside, but then it overlooks the Valley of Ilon, which is also where Joshua, of course, fought the Amorites. Hmm. So you have Latrun, which was fought in the, the War of Independence in 48, 49, and then you're looking at the ancient battlefield. So as always... Everything in Israel is connected to the past. Mm -hmm. yes. It just all swirls together at the same time. So, mm -hmm. yep. anyway, great trip. Uh, really, really enjoyed it a lot. Yeah, you can't uh, put a shovel down in the dirt over there and not find something. That's the conclusion I've come to. And I haven't been there in many years, but I just seeing sites on media or whatever, a lot of places look completely different than when I saw them last. And so that's yeah, just a it, continued testimony, right, to the word? Yeah, it, it is, and it was for me, too. I hadn't been since, I think, 2017. And, mm. uh, they they have done a tremendous amount uh, on the uh, uh, City of David site, uh, David's Palace, oh, uh, wow. right outside the old city walls in Jerusalem. Oh. It's absolutely astonishing oh. what they've that's uncovered. One of, yeah. so. That's one of my favorite spots, yeah. absolutely. Yeah. I just think it's phenomenal. Um, so you haven't been there since 2017. Um, Chris has been kind of trudging forward, you know, even since uh, uh, COVID to, to take groups over there. Does he have anything coming up in the future that you know of? 
Well, uh, funny you mention that, um, and we didn't we didn't talk about this ahead of time. Uh, he and I, I guess, are, are going to. Uh, he's going to lead the tour, but I'm going to go on a tour with him uh, next. We're we're looking at I think first week in April. Hmm. Um, going to take an Israel tour, uh, you know, ten or twelve days, and uh, so if anybody wants to uh, to go along with us, uh, they can get in touch with me. But uh, yeah, so I, he he's been asking me for years to do that, and I I've not taken the opportunity, but I'm I'm going this time, so I'm really looking forward to that. You know, he's one of the very best Bible teachers, mm-hmm. and if if you uh, a tour in itself is great, but it's enhanced immeasurably if you have a really great teacher, mm-hmm. and he's that. So yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, absolutely. Wow, that's 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 awesome. So, you mentioned something about the motive for reporting all these uh, rocket strikes. That there's a fear motive. Can you explain a little bit more about what you mean by that? Yeah, I mean, you know, if modern media uh, in, in journalism that I put the word in quotes uh, really does a, does a disservice to people. They they're more interested today in uh, page views and clicks and in advertising and things like that. So they're going to, uh, as the example of what we've been talking about, they're going to play up the the danger factor. You know that war is going to break out or something like mm-hmm. that to get people engaged and keep them coming back. But but it may not bear any relation to reality and truth. Mm-hmm. And and so I think their motivation. Um, is is just simply just cynical uh, uh, looking for ad revenue things like that, um, which, which is kind of apart from the usual negative reporting about Israel, which is for ideological reasons. But mm-hmm. um, yeah, I think I think stoking people's fears. And, and let me let me say this here too. Uh, that reminds me, um, I, you know, I, I, I hate to say this, but I see a lot of that in. In prophecy, uh, some 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 prophecy teaching that that really stokes the fear angle. And in, in the, you know, I think we all understand where we're at. I think we understand biblically what is going on. And and uh, but you know, I, I I don't think Christians should live in a state of fear. I just mm-hmm. don't. And mm-hmm. and if the Bible tells us certain uh, uh, big picture items, as in, you know, God is going to preserve His people and things like that. Then, then we shouldn't really worry and, and be as fearful as uh, apparently a lot of people are. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I think I, I look forward to the future myself. Yeah. But, uh, but, but again, fear, fear is a big motive for people with different agendas, and so you just kind of have to filter out who is telling you the truth and who isn't. Well, that's a good plumb line. You know, if there's a lot of fear involved, peel that back and find out what the motive is and what the agenda is, and that's yeah. probably a really yeah. good way to look at an awful lot of things these days. Yeah. 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 Jim, you posted an article on social media, um, Did Jesus Reject the Land Promise? And this is just so good. And I, I all I could think of was, yes, theology does trump geography. That's what I came away with. But... Um, it says uh, in Luke uh, twenty one twenty four, Jesus prophesied that one day Jews would have sovereignty over the land of Israel. But most Christians have heard that Jesus gave up the land promise. Uh, they've heard this from their preachers and their professors, of course. Um, this is the promise that God gave to Abraham, that to your seed I will give this land, Genesis twelve seven. 
And it's not for one period in history of God's people, but all of history. Uh, he says, I will give this to you and your seed forever. And when he says, I will make a great nation of you, he's, you know, well, a great nation of you, um, you know, suggests a great nation. You can't have a lot of people without a great nation. And then it says, all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. So there are local ramifications, global ramifications, and maybe that's why it's under so much attack. But could you just, you know, break down this article, um, you know, the promise, uh, the New Testament talks about, um, for God so loved the world, and it seems to be about the world and the peoples and the Gentiles, but, but, tell us a little bit more about how theology trumps geography. Yeah, um, well, the the reason that, one of the reasons the article jumped out at me is that it's written by a guy who is not, I would say, from the prophecy camp, mm-hmm. um, and, and I don't know him personally, but I know several people that do. Gerald McDermott is his name, mm-hmm. and he's a he's got a PhD. Um, it, I, I think he is more in maybe the mainline camp, but that's what makes not just the article, but his overall work so important. Because, and he's also written a, a couple of books about this. He he then is probably the leading scholarly voice. Um. Among more non-evangelicals than anybody else on on this subject, and uh, so I, I really appreciate his his view of this because I think that he probably has resisted the the influence of you know reform guys, mm-hmm. uh, mainline uh, sources, and both of those camps, of course, either outright reject the land promises to the Jews or they ignore it because they hate it <laughs> you know frankly <laughs> yeah. and and so he in this article um, yeah he, he just says very clearly and, and boldly and almost matter of factly that yes uh, the land promises to uh, the Jews or Abraham's descendants by the Lord uh, didn't stop at the end of the Old Testament mm-hmm. and and that's something that, uh, you, you know, now, it's not as extensive, of course, um, in, in the New Testament, that, that topic, as it is in the Old, but it's there. Mm-hmm. And that's the important point of this article, and he does point out that the, the passage you cited in particular clearly uh, tells us that there will be a sovereign political entity in the land again in the future. We, of course, happen to be living that time, uh, and as uh, uh, Amos tells us, they're not going anywhere once they've been restored for the final time. Um, but but McDermott's voice in this and the article is really really important. And and so again, he just uh, uh, very clearly lays out the case for uh, Israel to uh, resume its national sovereignty after, of course, this long exile. Um, but then, as you mentioned, uh, I, you know, if, you, if if people want to think about it this way, uh, there's kind of something in it for everybody. And and I, you know, I I don't really understand why people aren't pacified. Uh, uh, the people that have a problem with the Jews' chosenness, you know, because we we both know that's caused a lot of consternation in the church for a long time. People, and this is my word, are jealous of the Jews because God chose them. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but they don't talk about the 
you know, the responsibilities that come with that chosenness. I mean, <laughs> you know, the Jews have been, I mean, the the terrible things done to them, and often in the name of Christ, is it, it, it's just off the charts. Um, but, uh, but, you know, if, if people can wrap their minds around the fact that God did give this pretty small area of land to them forever, um, there's also, as you mentioned, uh, and, and that is the most famous uh, passage in, in the Bible, for God so loved the world. Mm-hmm. And, and in the Old Testament, there are, there are uh, discussions about uh, particularly in the last days and in, and in the you know the millennium and, and beyond, that all the nations of the earth will be blessed um, by the Lord, and they'll you know all, all nations will come up to Jerusalem to worship the Lord and things like that. Salvation is for all people. Mm-hmm. Uh, the opportunity to worship in Jerusalem is available to all people, and so McDermott really lays all that out in that article, and, and I really hope people will. Uh, give time to to read and absorb what he says, and, and do do like what I did. I, you know, I read a lot, but I'm uh, I'm not a speed reader, and my retention <laughs> is probably average. So I read the article about three times. Yeah, and, well, uh, yeah, I did so too. I, I would I would encourage people to do that. And I will put the link um, with the po- podcast when we post the podcast today. I'll put this link so people can read it because. This is so telling here. It says, most preachers and professors have no idea that God repeated this land promise either explicitly or implicitly in the Old Testament 1,000 times. Mm-hmm. Uh, it it kind of shines a light on what they're not doing, like reading the Bible. Yeah, that, that's exactly it. And, and uh, you know... There aren't enough voices, I don't think, like McDermott's that are doing scholarly work mm-hmm. like this, at least on our side. Now, there are, uh, in the other camp, uh, you know, there, there's been a fair number of books done on this topic. Um, guys like Steven Seitzer, uh, who hates Israel, hates the Jews. Um, there are others like him. As, as I said earlier, they, most of them come out of the mainline church, uh, uh, communities, but but there, you know, there there are probably for every one McDermott book, there's twenty from the other side. Mm, and right. but what what you find in their books is they're very clever at manipulating uh, the data and and even the theological uh, arguments. Um, and but what you see underneath it all is their disdain that they have for the Jewish people. Okay. And, and whereas in McDermott's article, he, he simply lays it out in, in pretty straightforward fashion. Yeah, it's really, really good. There's one point he says here, he's talking about the restoration of the kingdom to Israel. He says there's also the mysterious statement by Jesus just before his ascension in answer to the apostles' question, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel, Acts 1-6. This was after Jesus' 40-day postgraduate seminar with the apostles on, as Luke tells us, the kingdom of God. Legions of preachers and scholars have commented that this was a stupid, carnal, and I'll probably add ill-timed question, for the apostles supposedly should have realized the kingdom is only spiritual and has no earthly dimension. Well, wait, it says, but Jesus showed every sign of taking the question seriously when he replied, it is not for you to know the times or seasons that the Father has set by his authority, verse 7. In other words, Jesus said, I will restore the kingdom, but the time for that cannot be revealed to you 
right now. And it says, this interpretation has been argued convincingly in a recent book from Oxford Press, Luke's Jewish Eschatology by Jewish scholar Isaac Oliver. And I think I want to read that, too. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, it's it's plain. It's plain. There's just so much that is plain. And... Uh, but we don't want to have to, you know, they like to spiritualize things. They come from their own agenda. They want to hyper-spiritualize things instead of reading it just for what it says, right? Yeah, and, and I have to say again, I say this a lot, but I, I do think that it's um, partly an explanation for, for what is going on. I, I just can't emphasize enough how most of these sources that are what I'd say on the left or at least center-left on this issue, at the root of what they're they're doing is this just absolute dislike of Jewish people. Mm-hmm. Um, so so they come at it from that. They don't come at you know it's like uh, it's like Darwinian philosophy. Uh, you know they those guys didn't actually pursue scientific data and truth. They started from the proposition that they didn't mm-hmm. want to believe in God. Yeah. It's the same with this. These people start with the proposition. Uh, unspoken, of course, but mm-hmm. that they, you know, they really have a problem with Jewish people, and so they're they're always going to uh, uh, paint that in a negative light, and so they're going to have to manipulate the data against right. the Jews, and that's what they're all about. Well, Dr. Randall Price said that Jerusalem is mentioned 800 times in the Bible and under one name or another, and Jerusalem is in about two thirds of the books of the Old Testament, one half of the books of the New Testament. Um, researchers have found 660 verses in the OT and 142 in the New that speak of Jerusalem and references to Jerusalem 465 times in the Old Testament and 24 in the New are in a prophetic context. Um, so basically, you know, reading reading things into the scripture that you wanted to say causes all kinds of mischief. <laughs> yeah, it, yeah, mischief's the, the good word for it. Um, and, and you know, you know this better than I do today in the church that this just rife with that kind of teaching. Yeah, it's very sad. Very sad. Uh, we got our first break in a few minutes. I want to mention here to you um, just something kind of cool that happened. Close to a thousand Israeli youth gathered to demand sovereignty in the Jordan Valley. Um, there's a couple of women who have spearheaded a movement to transform the concept of Israeli sovereignty over Judea and Samaria from a fringe, unrealistic idea into a mainstream concept accepted by many Israeli politicians. So they have developed and nurtured this movement. Um, they also play a video clip of Netanyahu from a few years ago announcing his intention to apply sovereignty in the Jordan. Uh, he hasn't done a lot with that yet, but they're still hoping that he will. And the beauty of this is seeing these youth participating. Um, uh, they say this is the eastern wall of the state of Israel and it must be strong. And this one, uh, another similar article says, the people here will be the future prime minister, the future judges, the future heads of Israeli banks, etc. They know that Eretz Israel means Israel, the land of, belongs to the people of Israel, and we don't have the right to give up an inch. And these are the future leaders of the Jewish people. I find that hopeful. Do you? Yeah, I absolutely do. Um, uh, we maybe could talk about this a little more on, okay. on after the break, but yep. but that yes, it's it's absolutely crucial. Uh, you know. With, with, with all cultures changing around the world, particularly in the West, it's critical to have your youth understand uh, your your own national heritage. Mm-hmm. And so I I applaud what they're doing. Yes, and I guess it's a conference, a convention that they have every year, and it's the Sovereignty Movement. 
uh, Sovereignty yes. Youth Convention. I find it just really, really hopeful. It says, it was uplifting. There was a powerful and amazing energy in the air. Uh, uh, we are so overjoyed to see the amazing youth who are participating and say, the land of Israel, we love you, we will protect you. Wow, I, there's hope. Sometimes we look at the, you know, the upcoming generation and we just kind of, I don't know, not roll our eyes necessarily, but there's there's always um, concerns about what will be preserved and what won't be preserved. But to hear about that yeah. is wonderful. So we can talk about more about that as we come back. And also a headline, Blinken says Israel must be nine miles wide to be secure. Not eight, not ten, but nine. Um he added insult to injury by also pressing Israel to make a series of concessions that would go above and beyond what the Oslo Accords require. Wow, Israel is always under attack in one form or another, isn't it? Yeah, unfortunately, and unfortunately too many times by American diplomats. Yeah, absolutely. Well, Blinken, he's the Secretary of State, and he says that in order for Israel to be more secure, it must return to being nine miles wide as it was before 1967, of course. Is he right? And then this article says, are narrow borders safer than wider ones? Well, if you got to ask that, um, I don't know. I think that's an issue. But uh, he was speaking to an APAC policy summit on June the 5th. Uh, he said that, of course, a two-state solution based on the 1967 lines with mutually agreed swaps is the best way for Israel to achieve security. I don't think these young people believe that at all. But uh, we're going to come back more with Jim Fletcher. My name is Mary Danielson. Um, remember to visit StandUpForTheTruth.com and sign up for our weekly podcast digest via your email inbox. On the top menu bar, click subscribe. Enter your first name and email address. Feedback is also encouraged. Comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. And we'll be right back with Jim Fletcher. Your prayers and ongoing financial support keep our Truth at Any Cost mission strong. StandUpForTheTruth.com Welcome back to the podcast today. My name is Mary Danielson, talking to Jim Fletcher. Uh, he's got an upcoming ministry site that you want to make a note of, patreon.com uh, slash the God that answers. Jim, welcome back to the podcast. We were talking about this wonderful youth conference that goes on in Israel, um, very pro-sovereignty, pro-Eretz Israel, and um, they mentioned the uh, Jordan River, the East the east boundary there, and then Judea and Samaria. And this is their concern about sovereignty. Of course, you have to have sovereignty over your own land. But what you wanted to add some thoughts to that about sovereignty over those areas. Yeah, just that, uh, you know, uh, biblically and prophetically, that's really important because that area, of course, is between Jordan and, and Israel. And the Jordan Valley is, uh, well, you know, it's it's kind of a... Uh, not as inhabited and, and not maybe just kind of a, almost a desert area. However, it's strategically very important because it is exactly uh, in the area where that uh, that army uh, during the Gog Magog War will come from. I mean, they'll it'll be like a staging ground for for this uh, final assault, and so um, it, it literally comes right up against. Uh, the the, uh, the eastern edge of the, the mountains of Israel. So it, it, the stronger an Israeli presence that they can have there, I think it, it's better. And and so that'll be something to watch. Um, uh, I hope Netanyahu will have the political uh, uh, courage to to go ahead and do that. Um, but that that I'm, I'm really really happy that they're 
teaching their young people mm-hmm. that Zionism is pretty important. Yes, and I'm guessing that these youth aren't uh, stuck on social media day in and day out. They've actually had some complete no. thoughts about this, right? I mean, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and yeah. and serve in the military, you know, or going right. to serve in the military. So they have literally a vested interest. Yes, and they have to serve, right? That every youth has to serve in the military. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. Wow, great stuff to watch for. We need to keep an eye on that. I find that pretty encouraging. Um, oh, there's just so much going on, and I, I would love to just talk about Israel all day. I, I do want to switch gears a little bit. Um, because of the here's uh, front page magazine, and I love it because it's David Horowitz's site, and on the masthead mm-hmm. it says, Inside every progressive is a totalitarian screaming to get out, which is absolutely true. And so here's their article. There's two of them here. Biden regime indicts the leader of the opposition. And it says we're not just in banana republic mode. We're heading into Stalinist show trials territory. So this isn't about whether you like him or not. This is about the end game uh, of totalitarianism. And it says, love him or hate him, Trump is the principal opponent of the Biden regime and the individual who at this point is most likely to be elected president in 2024. He's also been indicted on federal criminal charges related to the mishandling of classified documents. Uh, not long ago, when he was arrested by a Manhattan DA on bogus felony charges, critics of the Biden regime began to say America had become a banana republic. We're racing past that stage. Now America is headed towards becoming a Stalinist regime in which critics of those in power are arrested by the regime itself, tried on false and fabricated charges, and executed. The left may not intend to murder Trump, but they're trying to execute him. Um, politically, and I was looking up uh, the meaning of banana republic in case people don't know. It was uh, the phrase was coined by American writer O. Henry uh, in a series of short stories. But he, uh, it says here, over the past century, banana republic has evolved to mean any country with or without bananas that has a ruthless, corrupt, or just plain loopy leader who relies on the military and destroys state institutions in an egomaniacal quest for prolonged power. Jim Fletcher, is that what's going on here? Yeah, it, it is. Um, you know, it, and it took a long, long time, but I think this has been the plan of totalitarians mm. for many, many decades to infiltrate the United States and, and take their time, but progressively turn us to the left. And the problem for us right now is that they have taken over our institutions. Mm-hmm. That's the real issue. And, You know, there are a lot of people out there like us. In fact, I I personally believe the majority of the country is still American patriots. But if we don't have control of the institutions, we have a real problem. And and that is how you get to the point of this completely outrageous situation that, you know, the Russians have seen for a thousand years, but we haven't, where... Mm -hmm. Uh, whoever is in control can just throw their political opponents in, in prison. I mean, that's a scary prospect. Too many people don't think about the fact that if they if they can do that to Trump, they'll do it to anybody. Yeah. And uh, and while I think Biden, you know, the, the mendacity behind Biden is pretty strong. He's always been a leftist. He's always been a grifter. He's always been corrupt. But I don't think he's pulling the strings. Mm. Um, now, who ultimately is, I, I can't say either. I'm certain that Obama is heavily involved in all this. Obama wants yeah. to apply his political ideology to the whole country. And, and that's how we've arrived at this point. Now, 
the question, of course, is, and nobody knows the answer to this, that, as I say, the story hasn't been uh, written yet, it's finished. Uh, if are they going to succeed? And uh, I don't, I don't know. Um, I, I, I worry less about Trump uh, being convicted and imprisoned than I do about our inability to get uh, elections uh, to be honest. And if that isn't fixed, then everything else is going to go off the rails as well. Mm-hmm. Fix that problem, and then you'll fix the problem of uh, 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 a corrupt regime imprisoning their opponents. Um, I, I have no doubt that Biden personally doesn't like Trump and, and, and is, you know, uh, for all this, but, but I don't think he's actually running the show. Um, but there are a lot of dangerous people that are. And the, the other question to me is, uh, Will the American people tolerate uh, them going too far? And I, I don't think anybody knows the answer to that exactly. Mm-hmm. But I, it, it does seem like the left is intentionally pushing uh, most Americans uh, to, uh, uh, you know, to a place that we've never been before. <laughs> and and yeah. the, the question there is why? Why are they doing that? But uh, but in any case. Um, I don't. I, I think Trump will emerge from this uh, okay. It, it, it is an interesting thing that uh, even the left polling indicates that his numbers are surging after he's indicted. You know, every time they indict him, he gains more uh, in the polls. So that doesn't seem to make sense uh, from their strategic viewpoint. But then again, you know, evil uh, evil can accomplish things and do things, but evil is also makes mistakes. Um, because mm-hmm. it, it goes too far, and and I think I do very sincerely think that the left in this country, including the regime in the White House, is going too far, and I don't think they quite realize that. Yeah, and and with that rage that they have, and this it's rage, deranged rage, comes a sort of a madness that eventually will you know uh, blow itself up. Uh, it says here the Espionage Act has been brought into play, giving the appearance without any evidence whatsoever that Trump collected classified documents and passed them on to a foreign power. Journalist Greg Price notes that indicting Trump under the Espionage Act for Mar-a-Lago documents would be a fully insane abuse of power that's hard to wrap your head around. The Espionage Act is an unconstitutional relic of World War One that was passed in order to criminalize dissent against the war. Secondly, it was signed into law decades before Truman created the modern system of classification slash declassification of documents. Um, so it makes no reference to whether a document has been deemed classified. So there's a little, there's definitely some madness here. And um, NBC News Act even said that every administration since Reagan has cl- mismanaged classified documents. Uh, but uh, Merrick Garland, you know, and his henchmen, uh, they, they think they can destroy the foe of their regime, which is just... That's just appalling. I mean, is this really the U.S.? And then there's also one, One Nation, uh, this is also uh, Front Page Magazine, One Nation, Two Sets of Laws. Uh, when And this talks about Obama, which you had just talked about. When Barack Obama announced he was unilaterally legalizing millions of illegal aliens while further opening the border, he described it as using discretion about whom to prosecute. In the years since, pro-crime prosecutors have virtually dismantled the justice system in some jurisdictions by using their quote-unquote discretion 
not to prosecute thieves, drug dealers, and violent criminals. Some announced they wouldn't prosecute rioters and looters, and they would stop prosecuting prostitution, uh, thefts under a thousand dollar, under a thousand dollars. And D.A. Uh, Bragg, he's the main ha- uh, Manhattan D.A. He issued a zero-day memo on take on taking office that told prosecutors not to seek prison sentences for armed robbers. And then he labored to indict Trump while bypassing such niceties as the statute of limitations, et cetera, et cetera. You know, you give Jeffrey, Jeffrey Epstein a pass, Harvey Weinstein a pass. So basically, this is Obama, as you said. Didn't Illinois pass some laws that said we're no longer going to prosecute A, B, C, and D felonies? Yeah, they did. Uh, Obama's home state. <laughs> wow. Well, and so Obama has set a precedence here for two sets of laws, written and unwritten. A two-tier justice system. Uh, we're in trouble, Jim. We're in big trouble in this country. Well, re- remember, Obama said um, when he was president that the Constitution is a flawed document. Mm. Um, that that was a watershed for the country. Uh, just by uttering that sentence, he changed perception in people's minds. So Obama has always been an opponent of our constitutional system. Mm-hmm. He's always been a totalitarian in nature and and so that's why uh, we're seeing a lot of things we're seeing you know justice is going on in Israel right now our judiciary is you know they make decisions arbitrarily it's subjective it's not following the law it's not following the settled constitution and that's why you see the things that are going on uh, that you do now one thing about that, that that honestly confuses me a little bit, and, and maybe somebody uh, listening would know, uh, you know, I, I had heard that we had made tremendous headway in Trump's term with him appointing all sorts of judges around the country. Well, if that's the case, then why are we still, uh, you know, were, were there that many left-wing judges uh, already on the bench or... Mm. Or, or what happened there, but it, it uh, that's that goes back to what I said at the outset. This is another institution that the left has gained control of, and and unless that control is wrested from them, then everybody's in trouble. Uh, and trust in the system, like you said about elections, it, people are going to, and this is probably by design, of course. Don't go bother to vote because it's rigged already, right? Yes. Yeah. Yep. Wow. Okay. Well, here's hoping that it doesn't go too far past Banana Republic, but like the article said, I think we're too late for that. Uh, I want to talk to you just briefly about uh, Biden's new uh, National Institute of Health NIH director nominee who was selected by... We have two uh, nominations here, NIH director, and then we also have the CDC pick, both women. Um, It says here that Biden's new NIH director nominee who was selected by Fauci received $290 million in grant funding from Pfizer. It says here, the ultimate red flag, Fauci, Fauci personally advocated for Dr. Monica Bertagnoli to become the nominee. The White House has nominated a Pfizer-tied doctor to become the next director of the NIH. In a statement released by the White House, President Biden declared her to be a world-class physician scientist whose vision and leadership will ensure the NIH continues to be an engine of innovation to improve the health of the American people. It's currently led by Lawrence Tabak, a Bill Gates stooge, who replaced longtime Chief Francis Collins. Um, she received a stunning $290 million research in research funding from Pfizer. Uh, the Daily Signal, a project of the Heritage Foundation, reported that from 2015 through 2021, she received more than 116 grants 
from Pfizer, um, which is most of her research grants. Uh, and Fauci is still on salary at the NIH, and he has uh, a security detail, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. But here's what he says about, um, oh, this is so special. She's got the kind of personality that I think is important for the director of the NIH, Fauci said. She's firm with the principles, but she's very likable and easy to get along with. What a relief, Jim, uh, that she's likable and easy to get along with, you know. And one of the comments is great. And it says, all the red flag manufacturers in the U.S. are running out of red flags. Get ready for another shortage of red flags. The drug companies are hogging them all. And Pfizer probably owns a red flag maker subsidiary. So, yeah, uh, you know, nothing like a little cynicism to make it go down a little better. But also watch for the Biden uh, CDC pick, Dr. Mandy Cohen. It says here in this headline, she's basically Dr. Fauci and drag. Oh, my gosh. Um, what comes to my mind is meet the new boss, same as the old boss. But anyway, she, uh, Biden wants former North Carolina health boss Mandy Cohen to head the Federal Centers for Disease Control. I'm sure she's very likable, too. She was an out, outreach director for Doctors for Obama, which called the Illinois Democrat health plan the best hope for improving quality, controlling costs, and guaranteeing access. Um, but, of course, we know Obamacare was a failure, and uh, she was called upon to fix it. But... Um, I don't know, she sort of vanished. So I guess I'm asking, you know, the choir here, what do you think? But I think we're all in big trouble health-wise, right? Uh, unfortunately, yes. Uh, you know, these these two groups um, are as malevolent and dangerous as as you can get because with other totalitarian regimes, just as with them, you know, what they're telling you is the opposite of the truth. They're telling us that they are wanting to improve and streamline uh, our medical services. The opposite is the case. I mean, Bill Gates wants to kill people mm-hmm. to to decrease the population and in a, a really effective way is to start uh, uh, manipulating uh, things like uh, uh, the, these, uh, uh, you know, these drugs that, that groups like Pfizer are, are creating. And, you know, the thing is, uh, like like you mentioned, this uh, Cohen. I mean, she has degrees from Cornell, Harvard, and Yale. She's in the club. Yeah. I mean, these people are just a part of a large pool that they draw from because they all have the same left wing ideology. They don't care about individual Americans' health. Yeah. They care about maintaining their power and increasing their profits. And so, um, uh, and, and another uh, aspect of this propaganda thing, I noticed that you, you know you'd mentioned that she was part of this uh, uh, Doctors for Obama thing. Well, after Obama was elected, they changed the name of it to Doctors for America. <laughs> oh, I mean, do you see how insidious this propaganda oh my is? Gosh. They 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 give it this this great-sounding, even Americana name when it's it's everything but. It's it's all propaganda designed to deceive the masses. They're not doctors for America. They're mm-hmm. doctors against America, mm-hmm. uh, or, or I should say the drug companies against America. So, um, you know, another institution that uh, I don't have the answer for how to uh, to, to regain control of it, I... You know, I think while Trump did tremendous things in his first term, it probably would take 
uh, a whole series of presidential terms to to fix what's wrong in Washington. Yes. Um, well, and the Senate has not approved these. I, I'm fascinated to hear what that process is going to be like because uh, when talking about um, the NIH gal, it says here, it's a game, back and forth from big pharma to government regulatory positions and all at the cost of our health and well-being. We hope the Senate sees this and denies her as regulators should not be beholden to those they regulate. Yeah, well, that makes perfect sense to me. It is a game. Yeah, it is a game. Yeah, and, and when you consider that of our 535 representatives in Washington, I would say no more than 10% of them are truly committed and, and are in it for the long haul uh, to do the right thing for the American people. So I, I just see that, uh, you know, people say, well, you're just being pessimistic, but I just see uh, appointments like this as being rubber stamped. Well, probably that's a, that's a really good, that's a really good possibility. And, you know, more control, more masks, more, more closures and restrictions, depending. I mean, we don't know what the future holds, but depending. So, well, you know, I, I, let, let me say this real quick. That just reminded me of something I heard the other day. The, the one uh, ace or sleeve maybe is that uh, th- these things have not been tried um, and, and, and enforced completely in a country like America. Mm-hmm. And, and I read something this week that I'd never thought of before, and it said that communism has always been launched and flourished then in agrarian societies. It was Russia and China. Hmm. They've never tried something like this in a, a Western mm-hmm. superpower. And, and so that gives me a lot of hope that we still can turn these things around, because I, I don't think at the end of the day the majority of Americans are going to tolerate yeah. living in a clamped-down uh, yeah. tyranny. I just don't think yeah. they will. I think so, too. And there are still lawyers out there, and there's still a process. Uh, so we'll see. And speaking of which, uh, what Americans will and will not tolerate, we got time for one more here, I think. And this article is called Woke versus Holy. And this has been in my mind, because I know that these corporations, the bottom line is everything. But it says, why Fortune 500 companies are willing to offend most of their customers. This is really good, by Ellen Joseph Bauer. Why do Fortune 500 companies, one after another, roll out sales or advertising campaigns that offend the beliefs of a large number of their customers? While the percentage of Americans formerly associated with organized religion is dropping, America is still a relatively religious country. Most Americans have some religious association or perform some religious observance, and holy tends to describe things or people that are separate and elevated from everyday things. And he goes on to give this example. A holy book, while it might be printed in the same place where Harry Potter books are produced, has by its content standing in the eyes of its owner that he would not bring it into the bathroom or use it to hold open a barn door or stand on it or whatever. It's, it's, they hold some things as holy. And then he goes on to talk about a person who grew up in a completely secular home, went to you know a liberal college, led a secular life, um, and nothing in their life is holy. They have they have stuff that they like, um, but it says people like this person are the ones that make up the vast majority of executives and directors of Fortune 500 companies, and they have absolutely no idea how the average person lives their life. Is that do you think that's what's behind this uh, woke stuff? Because Again, Jim, the bottom line, you know, people are going to stick with their beliefs. If push comes to shove, I really think 
that people know right from wrong in their hearts and they are going to stick with what they believe and they don't get that. What do you think about that? Yeah, I, I do think that is uh, one possible answer. I, I really do. The, you know, the people in Washington or the people that have these corporations, they really don't know how people like, for example, in my area live at all. They don't know anything about us. They, you know, might, it might as well be a different country. Mm-hmm. Um, but, but, you know, I think a, a couple other things are going on here, too. One is that, and this is, this is interesting. I just read this not long ago because we all are asking the same question. Mm-hmm. It's a question you just ask. It doesn't make any sense. Uh, uh, for example, I just read yesterday, Cracker Barrel restaurants, which are big in my area, they've always been Americana, Deep South. Well, they've jumped on board with the, uh, the, the pride stuff. They have uh, some of their rocking chairs they're famous for, uh, now in, in the rainbow colors. And it's just, you, you struggle to even understand what they're thinking. I think, though, there's two things. One is, uh, aside, from the what we just talked about, I think though that the desire, you know, these are reprobate minds that run these mm-hmm. companies and run our government. The desire to impose their ideology, their worldview, is so strong that in the short term they'll absorb some losses from boycotts and things like that. But they have, you know, probably a hundred George Soros behind them. And, and it's just like CNN. CNN's ratings were were in the tank. Nobody's watching them, but they're still on the air. How do they do that? Yeah. Because somebody's bankrolling them. So they can afford, literally, to offend their own customer base uh, because they're still going to have, you know, their, their coffers are still going to be full. Somebody's going to keep uh, filling up. Mm-hmm. And so this leads me to the third thing. I really believe these people are playing the long game. Um, they are saying, look, we're going to absorb some short-term stuff for maybe 10 years here, but the culture is changing so much, and young people are changing so much, that in 20 years, when we do these things, it'll be 100% accepted. And, and so I think to them, it's both a business and ideological transition period where they're moving from people like me, who they they rightly understand are going to die off, and and they're they're going to be poised for the future, and they'll they'll have then they'll have everything. They'll have their ideology imposed everywhere, and uh, they'll have record profits because people will come back to Target and places like that. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, it, it 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 is like somebody said on Twitter. Uh, this is now. A, a confrontation between good and evil. It really is, mm-hmm. and and that's what that's what we're facing. So, um, I am happy to see that Target and uh, uh, Budweiser or whoever it was uh, have lost so much that yeah. uh, it's made them, you know, second guess. But, but in any case, well. <laughs> Well, well, we're we're done here already. I can't believe it. We could have gone another hour. Thank you, Jim, so much. Uh, great to have you on again. Patreon.com backslash the God that answers. Keep an eye on that. Uh, the rest of the week, we've got Bill Federer replay on Wednesday. Elijah Abraham on Thursday. He recently went to Eastern Europe. I'm very interested in his uh, trip. Don Stewart on Friday. Um, just uh, you know, thank you for keeping up with the podcast and uh, go to Stand Up for the Truth and. 
and find those uh, back podcasts if you haven't heard them. So um, my name is Mary Danielson, and keep speaking the truth about things that matter.